All right, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And, uh, and we're going to hang out there, but I'm going to read a few other verses as we go. And uh, Matthew 4 is where I'll end up last, okay? So if you, if you want to go to all the other verses, that's fine. You can go with me. Uh, but I'm just going to talk about a few different things. I'm going to read first out of Acts chapter 17. Matthew 4 is going to where we're going to end. So if you want to go with me to Acts 17, you're more than welcome to do that. All right? What's up, Zach Allen? You get to hang out in church today? Give it up for our awesome kids pastor. Come on. Deserves more love than we can give. That guy, he and his wife, amazing. And um, so it's awesome. All right, Acts chapter 17, verse 6 through 7. I'm going to read this. When they did not find them, they dragged them. Jason, this is our primary verse for the series. Some of the brothers before the city officials shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason has received them as guests. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Because this is what's important for us. He says, acting contrary. So, so here's the deal. A new king always brings a new kingdom. No matter how you cut it, it can even be a, a new king under the same kingdom name, and it's still going to be a new kingdom. If you follow world history, you realize that a new king always brings with them a new kingdom. And that means three primary things. A new power, a new pattern, and a new product. Meaning there is a new power, obviously, with the king, but then there's a new pattern. There's ways that they do things that are different, values and particular things. And there's a new product, a new result. And so those three things happen. So when Jesus came and these guys began to serve him as king, they expected three new things. One, a new power. We're going to talk a bit about that today. A new pattern, a new way of doing life, and a new product. There would be something as a result of your life that was different than what it had been before. Are you with me? So that's the primary key part of our verse. Uh, Shelby just walked in, so give it up for Shelby, too. She didn't get to hear your applause. Awesome. All right. And so that's kind of the idea. And today's message, today's message focuses in, in, in a way a bit less on the heart and a bit more on the hand. Meaning, we've talked a lot about the beginning with, of the kingdom, which is the mustard seed faith. We've talked about the kingdom prayer, which is talking about heaven to earth. We've talked about all of these things. But today, and, and they've all kind of focused on who you are, because we have to receive the kingdom first in our heart before we will see it on the earth. Okay? So the kingdom was always meant to be uh, expanded through people. And so... So God uh, begins to work this out, and, and what I want to do today is talk a bit more about the hand. What happens when God is reigning in our heart, when Jesus is reigning in our heart, how does it begin to work its way into our hand? How does it begin to work its way into the earth? Because how many of you know it's, it's nice and all that Jesus reigns in your life, but if he doesn't actually change your life, then we're, we're kind of missing the point. Amen? Are you, no, you don't like that idea? Amen? Yeah? Okay, so, so the idea is, again, that Jesus would reign in us so that he could reign through us, and that's important. So I want to go back a few chapters. So the title of today is just a kingdom call, a kingdom call. If, if I'm praying the kingdom prayer and if I'm, I have a, the seed of the kingdom in my life and I've got these things happening, then, then what is it that can become the kingdom call? What am I called to do now that those things are present in my life. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, Jesus is about to leave, and, and he has just died and risen again, and he's appeared to a few hundred people. You read that in Acts chapter 1. 
and so he's appeared to a few hundred people. These disciples who were at one time weak and didn't really believe that Jesus was going to rise again. Once he died, they all got really sad and beat up and frustrated and kind of re- uh, retreated and, and went into hiding. And then all of a sudden, three days later, they became like the most bold, courageous uh, people on the planet. And so there was something that had happened that switched them from cowards to champions. Something that had switched the way they did things. In fact, you would see, not just in the Bible, you'd see uh, historians at the time who would begin to talk about there's something that has changed in the Christian movement. These people who called themselves Christians or little Christians or follow Christ, the people who call themselves believers of the way, there's something different. Something has changed since Jesus died. And so there's something that shifts. And so here's Acts 1, and Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, and we read this a few weeks ago, and he's talking about the kingdom. That's what Acts 1 tells us. Jesus is hanging with his disciples, probably more than just the 12 that we're used to hearing about. It's probably several more people than just that. And he's talking about the kingdom. What is it? What does it mean? What are we doing? And, and so Jesus is about to leave, head to heaven, kind of in the coolest of ways. Uh, hopefully when I get to heaven, I can do the whole ride on the cloud thing. But Jesus does this, and Jesus is talking about the kingdom, and the disciples ask Jesus a really interesting question. Because the disciples are living in a world where they are Jews, and they are in a particular part of the city, but Rome still ruled, and so for them, they were still under uh, the Roman rule, and, and it wasn't necessarily a bad, they had kind of worked some deals, and they kind of had a kind of a, a steady thing going, it wasn't necessarily full-on freedom, but they had kind of worked themselves into a decent life, but they were still in occupation, and, and so here are these guys, and, and they're really expecting Jesus to come and reign like a king, meaning they would take a Caesar's throne, and Jesus would sit on it, and he would begin to tell people what to do, how to do it, where to go, how to go, and he would begin to be the conqueror. That's the way they thought. They thought he would be this military warrior, this guy who would show up and be this political master, and Jesus doesn't really do that. Jesus actually goes to a cross and dies, which is not what you expected him to do. And yet, here he comes, he's back to life, and they ask him a question which kind of keeps them, if you If you kind of look at the question, you begin to realize they're actually still thinking as though they were still expecting some military might. Here's what they say in verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him. I love this. They kept asking him, almost like a kid in the back of a car going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? My son is getting into this place now where he's going, what's that? What's that? What's that? You know what we're talking about. And then you... You say what it is. So that's a, a TV, or that's a, a, a bowl, or that's a... And, they go, and then he looks at it, and he goes, what's that? And it's almost like he knows. He's just trying to make me mad. And, um, and, and it's just like... But I love, his, I love that he's curious. I love that he's asking questions. I just wish he would ask better ones. And so... so, so he, but here's, here's the disciples, and it says, so when they kept asking him... Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? That's a pretty interesting question after you spent three years with Jesus. He just dies on the cross, and he rises again, and then you're asking him this question about whether or not he's going to restore your kingdom. Are you going to restore the, the Israelite kingdom? Are you going to restore this kingdom, of, of, and you're going to reign, and you're going to get rid of Rome, and you're going to get rid of this, this kind of thing, and I, I'm, you're going to reign on the throne and you're going to be the guy now that you've died and risen again it'd be pretty cool if this is the way you did it I think that's a pretty good comeback story someone will make a movie about it and and, and so like what what's going to happen will you restore and it's funny that the phrasing will you restore our kingdom 
It's almost like they were not hanging out with Jesus for three years. Will you restore our kingdom? And they kept asking him, are we there yet? Are we there? Is this the time? Is this the moment when you're going to do what we always thought you were going to do and the way we thought you were going to do it so that we could have our kingdom back because we really don't like those guys who are trying to make us live in their way of living? It is interesting how we, we love to go, hey, God, are you going to do that thing for me yet? Are we there yet? Is this the time? Is this the moment? And Jesus answers in a way that I feel like they didn't want to hear. He says, he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. It's almost like he's like, uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to the Father. I'm going to put him as responsible. You, he's going to know dates and times, so that I don't even have to answer that question. And they are not for you to know. This is not up to you. In fact, you shouldn't really even worry about it. This is it's not up to you to know whether or not this is when it's going to happen. And then he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus on every street and in every heart. And you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit will come on your life. So it's almost as though he's saying, listen, will you quit worrying about when your kingdom will be established and understand I'm going to give you power to be prepare the earth for when it comes. It's almost, in fact, if you keep reading, you find out that the angels look down at the, the disciples and go, why are you still standing here looking up into heaven? He'll be back. Now get to work. He'll be back. Get to work. You've got some things to do. Remember he just told you the power would come on your life and you'd become witnesses telling people about Jesus everywhere? It's almost as though Jesus is saying, would you please quit worrying about the kingdom that it might be established by someone else and would you just realize your role is to make sure as many people are as ready when that kingdom comes? Because that's kind of where we're stuck. We are in this in-between of Jesus having come and announced the kingdom. And so the kingdom has begun this journey and this progress down through the, the days of history. And, and yet we're waiting for the kingdom to come when Jesus would finalize it. So it's almost as though he's commenced it, but he has not yet uh, established it fully. And we are in the process of seeing that come. And we are in this place where it is now but not yet as people. And so Jesus says to them, hey, it's not for you to know when it's going to happen. We are not there yet. But I'm going to give you something to do in the meantime. I'm going to give you a power that you did not know before so that you can tell the story that you had not told before so that you can reach people you've never met before. I'm going to do whatever I can to give you a power that you can walk in so that you can bring life to people. And he uses this word power, and it's an important word, uh, because Paul talks about it. In fact, uh, the, the idea behind this power is that it's, it's something on the inside of us, so it's a strength when there shouldn't be strength. There's a hope when there shouldn't be hope. There's a joy when there shouldn't be joy. There's a peace when there shouldn't be peace. So, so you read these verses later in, in the New Testament, and you begin to see these writers who are talking about this peace that surpasses understanding and this joy that is our strength and this hope that rises up on the inside of us that's an anchor for our soul. And you begin to read these things and hear these things, and you begin to realize that these are internal, not external. So we're not looking for a life that makes us happy. We are living a life that causes our world to be more happy, more joyful, more peaceful. It's amazing to me that you can go to other countries and you can begin to find people who love Jesus and have less and they enjoy life more. Why? Because their life is based upon what is inside out. And, and, and the more we, we allow the outside things to settle who we are on the inside, the more frustrated we are and on a, a greater roller coaster than we've ever been before. 
I, I was just talking to someone yesterday, talking about her, their son and how it just kind of seems like every, when, when money's good and job's good, that everything's good. And when it's not, all of a sudden they disappear and I don't see them and I don't talk to them and I don't know what's happening with their kids. And, I don't, and the reality is, is that when we allow this to determine who we are, then we, we do one of these. And our country is kind of beginning to do that. When, when things aren't good out here, we begin to do one of these. And so we start saying things like, well, if we elect this person, everything's going to nothing, and we're all going to be in bad shape, and nothing can be good, and all things are going to be evil, and I'm leaving the country. Why? Because it's what's out here that's determining what's in here. But the kingdom of God is upside down. So we live based upon what's in here so that what's out here can actually be affected by us rather than be the thing that affects us the most. Come on now, are you with me? That's not in my message. So let's go to my message. 1 Corinthians 4 says this, I know there are some among you, this is Paul talking, and I got out of the message translation because I think he talks some trash in here, and I think it's great. I know there are some among you who are so full of themselves they never listen to anyone, let alone me. They don't think that I'll ever show up in person. But I'll be there sooner than you think, God willing, and then we'll see if they're full of anything but hot air. You didn't know trash talk was in the Bible. God's way, in other words, the kingdom of God, is not a matter of mere talk. It's an empowered life. Basically, what he's trying to get across here, knowing that we are meant to be people who are empowered in our living and meant to be people who are living at a different level in a different way, he's trying to say there are those who are continuing to come into this city and trying to distort and pervert the message that I've shared you, this simple but powerful grace that changes everything, and they continue to try to heap new laws and new restrictions and new traditions on you saying that this is how you must live. And I'm coming to tell you those things don't work. And I, I'm coming back to remind them that all the words that they're throwing out there and all the ideas and all the, the thoughts and all the stuff that they're throwing out there, they're just, they're just a bunch of hot air. And, in fact, I'm going to come back and we're going to test it out. We're going to see if it's anything but hot air because the kingdom of God is not just mere talk but is empowered living. Now, now it's important for me to, under, to, to, to say this because in many of your translations, it won't say mere talk. It'll just say the kingdom of God is not talk but power. It, but it's not trying to say there is no talk involved. Okay? I believe talk and power both are included in how the kingdom of God is expanded on the earth. But he's trying to tell them that there's more to it than just saying something. That there's something that changes the way we live. In fact, there's a, a Stanley Harwas who was named America's best theologian by Time Magazine. You know I love quotes. They're great. Summed up this problem. He said, I've come to think that the challenge confronting Christians is not that we do not believe what we say, though that can be a problem, but that what we say we believe does not seem to make any difference for either the church or the world. Zing. Right? Like right between the eyes on that one. I've come to think that the challenge confronting Christians is not that we do not believe what we say, though that can be a problem, but that what we say we believe does not seem to make any difference for either the church or the world. See, my answer to the election, and I know this may sound like a bit of a cop-out, if we want, but I'm not going to espouse political views from the stage because I think they'll probably be misunderstood regardless. If we were to sit down and talk, we could have that conversation. But the reality is my primary response, and those of you who've had these conversations with me know this, if my primary response is always what is it that God is doing in us is going to be much more important than what, what the politicians do out here. And I don't mean that it's not important. I Actually, here's what I would probably say to you. This empowered living. And this is where the kingdom call begins to work its way into our life. 
I, I actually believe that people who are believers shouldn't depend on Sunday morning to change the world. I'm just telling you right now, there are people who will never come to this church. And I know that. And, and there's a good chance they won't go to any church, ever. And if I'm depending on Sunday morning to be the only opportunity for them to hear about the kingdom of God and that Jesus Christ gave everything for them, then I'm, I'm, we've got a lot of people going to be lost. If we wouldn't look at people as different than us but lost, then it changes the way we do things. And the kingdom of God doesn't require us to pull away from things. It actually requires us to press into things and with a sacrificial, all-in kind of love, change the lives of people. I, I just, I would, so here's, what, here's why I say this. I believe every single one of you has a calling on your life. At first, universal, meaning that at first, our first primary call as believers is the one that is given to everyone, which is let's see the kingdom of God on earth is to reach all people, to take this message to everyone everywhere. And then you have a unique calling that fits in that universal calling, which is maybe what God has put in your heart to do. I think we limit our calling by saying it's our career, although I think our career is part of it. But when we limit our calling to what our career is, then when our career is not good, then we feel like we have no calling. See, our calling goes above our career so that it can affect our career and we can begin to be people regardless of where we are or where we're employed and begin to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. See, Sunday is the day that heaven touches earth, but Monday must be the day that we take what heaven does into the earth. We must be a people that take what God does in these moments into every area and arena of our life. In fact, if you were to keep reading Acts chapter 17, which is really the chapter this whole series is based upon, you would find Paul on two or three different occasions, and this is what it says. It says that he would get to a city and it would say this, as usual, he would go into the synagogue and reason with the Jews. Now, some of you are going, well, he's just going to church. No, he's going to the place where people disagree with him. And he's going and sitting down, and then he would say, and then he would go to the marketplace, and he would talk to anyone who would be there about Jesus. And he would have these conversations, and the word argue is used in there, but that is not like a two, uh, two of your kids arguing with each other. It really just means to discuss and to have this discussion. And I think we are, as Christians, too, uh, too we, we push away from that too often. We love to quote the Bible as though it's the end of the conversation rather than the beginning of the conversation. We, we love to use the Bible and go, drop the mic. But the reality is, is that we must use the Bible in a way to begin to bring more into the conversation and add to the conversation. And you would find Paul, he walks into a city and he sees all the gods and it says that his heart is distressed and he begins to see that there are idols and one idol actually says to the unknown God. And instead of Paul beginning to rebuke this unknown God, he actually says, so I see this idol that you have that says unknown God, and I see your religious fervor, and I see your zeal for God, and I see these things, and I think that's great. And, and, and you know what? You see this unknown God? You know what? I'm here to tell you who that is. It's, it's Jesus. I'm, I'm here to tell you I found out who the unknown God is, and he's better than all the handmade gods that you've created. Because I don't know about you, and he says this later in a bit of sarcastic tone, I don't know about you, but everything you've made can't actually fix your problems. It might help you escape from your problems. That's where Christianity should be different. We shouldn't be a people trying to escape our issues. We should be a people who are willing to change them. And so many of the things that the world has put together and put in front of us are things that are trying to let you escape your week rather than change your week. Come on, you get to Friday, you spend all your money going out on a Friday night because you hated how your week went. And you don't even remember where you spent your money the next day. Some of you are sitting in that boat right now. You're like, how did I end up in this place right now? I don't know. 
And the reality is that so much of what is happening is being done to escape our problems. In fact, some of the drugs we thought we had gotten rid of as people in this culture are now on the, on the uptick. Some heavy-duty things are now on the uptick. Why? Because we have raised up a culture that do not have a cause in their life, and so now they have to find something to escape their life. And so here we are dealing with the escapism of life, and so when, well, if this person gets elected, I'm out. I'm going to retreat into the woods, and I'm going to, I'm going to barricade myself, and I'm going to dig a hole in the ground because the apocalypse is coming, and I'm going to, man, for me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. I'm going to make sure I spend my time here living. Because if I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm good. But I'm going to use every ounce of who I am to change my week. I want to be empowered in my living. So whatever you're doing, whatever you have your hand in, whatever God has called you to, whether it is working a cash register or it is deciding where you're going to spend your budget as a, a big corporation or whether it is how you raise your children, whatever it is that you're doing, do it unto God. Do it as though it is part of the kingdom growing. Do it as though that it is a mustard seed of faith that will become a tree where people can come and rest. Do it so that you understand the kingdom of God is at work in you because what changes you is what will change your world. And that is a scary thing. Why? Because we allow a lot of different things to change us. From week to week, we could say, well, my money's not good, so it's going to change me. So then I walk into my house, and my kids get the, per the, the version of me that just doesn't like life right now. And so my world begins to be changed into the view, into the image of what has changed me. So if I can keep my eyes fixed upon Jesus, and I can fix my life upon the kingdom of God and his contrary ways, his upside-down world, then I don't walk into my home because life didn't go well that day and, and take it out on my kids. I walk into my home, and I understand that life is still in me. I have overflowing life, which means more than enough, and I can begin to bring those things into my world. So if you want to be a politician, be a politician, but be a believer first. Be one who trusts God first so that when you're making decisions on policy, you're not making it based upon how you feel that day, but upon who you serve. So if you want to run a business, run a business. But be a believer first so that whenever life gets difficult, you don't begin to cut corners and make illegal decisions. You've been, you base your life upon Jesus Christ. And while, like Steph was saying, it might get a little bit difficult, it might get a little bit scary, you still have a foundation of who Jesus is, and he is a rock upon which you stand, and your house can be built, and no matter what storm comes, no matter what wind blows, you are still standing. See, I think the world doesn't need less people who are talking about their faith. I think the world needs much, many more people whose faith actually does something. So we are a people created for good works. Those good works aren't, listen, that's why it's plural. Because some of us go, well, that's my good work, and it's the only good work that I can do, and it's my calling, and it's so specific that I'm never going to find it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? No, you're good, good, good works. It is not limited to just what you're good at. It's limited to whoever needs Jesus. It's limited to whoever God wants to reach that day at that time. Josh Kelsey, our C3 Brooklyn pastor, says it like this. I pray every morning for a divine connection. That there would be a divine moment where I would meet somebody who needs me. And who really, more than that, needs the God who is with me. I mean, what if we woke up every day and we said, God, bring people into my life who need Jesus. 
Not just prayed, hey, God, give me my daily bread, but prayed, your kingdom come. Matthew chapter 4, this is where we were heading, and this is where we are. And my, 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 gosh, I really want us to understand this. Your kingdom call is to be God's and become who God has called you to be wherever you are, whenever you're there. And so that you can be a light in the darkness, that you can be a city on a hill, that you can be the kingdom of God, and you can live contrary. Because what happens in Acts chapter 17 is Paul begins to reason with these people and talk with these people. Some of them do not believe them, but some of them do. Some of them do. And some of them say uh, they don't believe them yet, but they want to hear more. Come on, let us live in such a way and talk in such a way and believe in such a way and live in such a way where people want to hear more. Where we don't come in here and drop the mic on them and go, well, I just ended that argument. What? We didn't even talk. You just quoted a random verse I don't even understand, and now you're leaving. Where are you going? We're, like, we're at a coffee shop. You haven't drank your coffee yet. Where are you? No, let, let Jesus be the beginning of the conversation. And be willing to walk that through. And be willing to have more than one coffee. Be willing to sit down more than one time. Begin to realize that we all... Take time to adjust to change. And change is not something we all enjoy, even when it's good. And so it takes time for us to sit down a few times and work this thing through. All right, Matthew chapter 4. Are you with me? Matthew chapter 4, and this is kind of one of those areas because in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to the disciples what? He says, I'm going to give you power. So we're supposed to live empowered lives. We're supposed to live lives where there's something that happens in us so that there's something that happens through us, okay? All right? And, and so, uh, in fact, I said this to the team Wednesday night in Kansas City. Uh, I got to hang out with the C3 in Kansas City, and I, I told them, listen, sometimes we think we must get love so we can give it. But the Bible actually says, plant what you want. So if you want love to come back into your world, give it, even when you don't think you got it. That's why you got God with you, so you can have overflowing hope. And so if you want to plant some joy so you get some joy, then that's probably the way to go. And so be, be consumed with how can I bring life into the world and watch as your life begins to be filled up with abundant life. Because we are about justice. We are about righteousness. And so many of us make those such legalistic terms. Those are simply words that mean make things right. I mean, you just can't agree, disagree with me when I say the world is not all right. And our role is to make sure that justice happens, which means let's make it right. Let's do our best to make the world right. Okay, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus, this is what I talked about a couple weeks ago. We were going to go here, and we hadn't gotten here yet, so now we're doing it. So you can trust me, and I'm not a liar anymore. Okay, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and, everybody say and. Preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains and demon-possessed, the epileptics and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Now in the very next chapter, we see the Sermon on the Mount. So what is it that allows him to speak the Sermon on the Mount to a bunch of people? The fact that he preached the good news and he healed the lives of people. 
Now what happens right before this moment is Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. He goes into the desert and people, or sorry, yeah, well it might be a different order, but he gets baptized, he goes into the desert, the, the, uh, Satan tempts him three different times, the very last temptation is here are all the kings of the earth, here are all the kingdoms, I'll give them all to you. And he says, no, that isn't for me. God says this. And so I think it's interesting that he rejects the world's kingdom so that he can begin to preach the right kingdom. I think that's probably something we must do, okay? And, 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 and so he begins to go in and begins to choose his disciples. And when he begins to do that, he begins to preach the kingdom has arrived. It says he begins to preach the kingdom of God and heal diseases. Now in Luke, he gets into the... The synagogue and begins to, he lifts up the scroll and begins to read out of Isaiah those who would preach good news to the poor and who would heal the sick. And he begins to read scripture. And then he says, in your presence today, this has been fulfilled. Basically saying, the dude who's going to do this is here. And they all get really upset. They actually take him out to a cliff. They try to throw him off it. And he walks back through him. He's like, sorry, I got more to do. But here's the, here's the thing we have to hear. And here's why I think it's so important. That it is not just mere talk, but it is power is that with the proclamation of the gospel must come the transformation that the gospel brings. There must be something, there must be something that follows us proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Because if all we do is say this is the good news of Jesus, and then nothing happens in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our culture, then why would they ever gather around to hear us preach some more? See, Jesus was able to preach to hundreds and thousands because his simple proclamation brought a, simple, a real transformation, and that actually is what allowed him to preach again. See, the reason people are actually now less inclined to be in church and less inclined to trust that the, uh, that, that the church would actually bring any real good, although those are, that's just, it's a bit of a lie that that doesn't happen. The church is the uh, most generous organization on the planet and does more humanitarian things than anyone else. But, but the reason it isn't held up in high esteem is because we proclaimed it. But we didn't transform anything. We did our best. I'm not saying we, we but we allowed Sunday to become the one day it's proclaimed and then Monday nothing changed. Uh, I, one of my uh, favorite uh, preachers uh, is in Keller's, uh, Bob Roberts, Northwood Church. He wrote a book called Lessons from the East. And he was a, just a traditional guy for a long time. And, and then he got, man, he, something got a hold of him. And he began to plant churches out of his church. Even like three minutes down the road, he would plant a church. And, and then he got a hold of uh, a, a guy named Eddie Leo, really through uh, Christian Men's Network. And a guy that we've seen has discipled uh, tens of thousands of men, hundreds of thousands of men uh, around uh, the Philippines, Jakarta, Indonesia. And, uh, and, and so uh, he gets a hold of this and begins to realize that there's this Muslim community that, that Christians have for war, far too long held at, held at bay and held at, held at arm's length. And so he begins to build relationships. He goes to the imams in the, it, within the area and begins to just have lunch with them and talk with them. And, and now he's traveling all the time into the Eastern world and, and, and having real, honest, life-giving relationship with these men and women who are uh, serving in, in, in uh, the Muslim faith. And, and, he, uh, and he, would, he actually brought 10 guys. They decided they wanted to go to church with him and he said just so you know this is not like one of your serve like it's going to be different and, and and in the book he reads uh, that he writes uh, you, he tells a story of seeing an, an imam that's sitting there watching people worship and he, he's crying and he's just blown away and it was just supposed to be one of them but then all the other guys came so there's 12 muslim imams sitting in a church service 
I mean, listen, let me just tell you something. It's important for us to realize that we are meant to go into the world, not to retreat. I, I grew up in a subdivision. I don't know about you guys. I grew up in a subdivision. And right across the street was another subdivision. And it had a gate on it. Those uppity, you know. No, I'm just joking. I, but it had a gate on it. And I never could get over there. We always used to climb the fence. Because they had a little lake over there. And our, our development was still getting kind of started. And so we would run up. We'd go over. And, and we'd act like we were sneaking around. And I feel like the church does too much. We kind of retreat to our subdivision. And, and Bob Roberts would say it like this. There's, there's eight domains of culture. There's a bit of a... Some people would say there's more or less, and, but let me give you the eight that he wrote down. Agriculture and water, social and civil society, education, communication, science and technology, governance, medical, and economics. Now, I don't know if you notice, but there's one thing missing. It's the church. And people would ask him, well, where's the church in there? And he goes, are you saying you want the church to become one of these domains, or you want the church to be a part of all of them? Because when we make the church a domain of culture, it becomes marginalized, and it becomes less important, and it becomes something we retreat to rather than something we are wherever we are. And so we are, we are, listen, the Bible tells us in Corinthians, doesn't Corinthians, Paul says this in Corinthians, he says, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So this message that he wants to bring all people and not count their sins against them brings all, the whole world to himself has now been given to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's who we are. So when we pray heaven come to earth, we must then be willing to take heaven to earth. We must be people who do who not live in a domain of culture, so that when you leave your work, then you're a Christian. Or so that when you leave agriculture, then you become a churchgoer. And this, somehow they're separated out. No, you are the church. We don't do church. Come on, how many of you guys are with me on this? We be church. We are the church in and through all things that we do. And the world needs more people who are willing to say, it is not my kingdom, but it's his kingdom. It is, it, Lord, when are you going to, it's not, are we there yet? Well, don't worry about that. That's not for you to decide. But what I can tell you is I've given you a power to live differently so that you can take this message to everyone everywhere so that the good news of Jesus Christ would be a power to others so they can rise above their circumstance, they can rise above what culture calls them, they can rise above the sickness they live with, they can rise above the heart that's empty, they can rise above those things and become all that God's created them to be. And there's some of us even in this place who have been waiting for something to happen and shift in our life. And while this may sound like an easy answer, it is the answer that we would fix our eyes upon Jesus and that his kingdom would be our kingdom. And wherever we are, whatever we've dealt with, would not be the determinating factor on who we are, but the fact that God has stamped himself upon our heart makes us sons and daughters of God, full of life and hope and peace and joy Come on, we are here to make the world right again. It will not be whoever is elected Tuesday. It will be the body of Christ becoming what the body of Christ is always meant to be. That's who we are, Jesus, on every street and in every heart. I read this in that same book, and I loved it. It says, then the girl from Africa spoke. They were discussing how do you reach the world? How do you reach your community? How do you evangelize? When we want to take Christianity to one of our villages, she said, we don't send them books. 
We take a Christian family and send them to live in the village. And they make the village Christian by living there. We don't send them books and resources and a website they can go visit. And We send a family. We send people to live in the world, to live in that village and watch as they begin to affect people and love people and change people. Come on, we've gotten comfortable with our faith. We've allowed it to become a subdivision. So it's a part of our city, but it's not the city. No, mm-mm. that's not how God created it. God created this to be a walking, talking faith. God created this to not simply be one where we talk some good things and not even one where we only walk certain things, but that we talk about Jesus and then we walk as though Jesus is with us. And we see things differently and we speak about things differently and we watch as lives are transformed and we watch as lives are changed and we watch as our proclamation brings transformation and that is the only way that we will begin to see the change in our society that we want to see. Let us be people who live with a kingdom call. Let us be people who don't continue to ask God, when are you coming back? Let us be people who say, God, while you're deciding when you're going to come back, give me the power to live a life that gets people ready for when you will. Let me live a life that gets my neighborhood and my street and the people around my city and those who are poor and broken, those who are hurting, those who are discouraged, those who are depressed, those who, are, who have le- been left behind. Let me be a person who sees people, who lifts up my eyes and sees that the harvest is great and I can be one who brings the hope and life that is in Christ Jesus into the world. Because see, in this culture, those who were sick were marginalized. They were pushed off to the side. They were said you were no good. Those who were old were said, well, you're no good anymore. Those who were kids were said, well, you're not going to be good yet. Those who are dealing with infirmities would say, you're never going to be good. And, and here we are. The church should be those who redeem every life, who bring this reconciliating gospel into the world and be his ambassadors wherever we are, whenever we are, however we are. Because it is God who determines who we are. Are you with me this morning? Come on, let us be a church that, as usual, ends up in the synagogue talking to people about Jesus, ends up in the marketplace talking about Jesus, and understands that some people will say no, some people will say maybe, and some people will say yes, and in light of all of it, I'm still going to tell, about, tell people about Jesus. I'm going to proclaim it, and I'm going to believe that I can bring it, that I can see it here, and I'm going to bring it here, and that God has empowered me to live called on purpose. A risky faith is always the best one. It's always the one that brings the most fruit bow your heads with me. Lord, I thank you so much for this morning. Jesus, I thank you that you gave everything for us. I thank you that you gave your whole life for us. I thank you that you came out of heaven, showed up on the earth and said, I, I, I'm not going from earth to heaven and bringing you something back. I'm coming from heaven to earth and telling you here's what it looks like. And here's how you can live. This is upside down. It's different. God, even in this place today, some of us have allowed our faith to become a talking faith, but not a walking faith. Some of us allowed our faith to become a proclaimed one, but not a transformative one. 
Some of us have allowed these things to begin to just shrink in on us and crowd us and make us less of and think smaller and and not believe more. And we've gotten to a place where we didn't think our Monday morning matters to the kingdom. We didn't think our Wednesday afternoon mattered to the kingdom. We didn't think our Friday night mattered to the kingdom. And yet, Paul tells us we are ambassadors of Christ, bringing people into this reconciliatory faith. And we are to be people who in all things and everywhere we go, are ambassadors to Jesus. And that does not mean that we don't go where things are difficult or hard or might be some sin around or might be some things that get us messy or dirty or whatever. God, let us not think that way. Let us understand as freely as we've been given grace, let us freely give grace. Let us go into the places who need light. Let us go into the places that need flavor and be salt. Let us be people who walk in the power of Jesus Christ wherever we are. In fact, let us look at where we are. And if we need to step out into some areas that we've not stepped out into, let us go there. And then there's some of us in here this morning who would say, you know what, I've never given my life to Jesus. There's this gap between what is to be right in the world and what's to be right in my life and where I currently am. And I've tried and I've tried and I've tried to to fill that gap. I've tried to bring that gap close. And yet, Jesus, you said that the only thing that will go bring us from death to life, the only thing that would bring us from sin to righteousness is the, is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. That you came to bring that gap together so that it is not our righteousness but yours. It's through grace, by faith, as we trust in you and in your grace that things would shift in us and our world would get turned upside down. If you this morning would say, you know what, I want my life to be more full of power. I've done a lot of talking. I need to see a lot more walking. I I, want to see the transforming thing happen, not just the the proclaiming thing happen. I want to make sure that my walk follows my talk, that I I have both of them present in my world. I want to hear what Paul hears. I want to know what Paul said when he said that this is not just a mere talk, but this is power. This is different. Some of you this morning, that's where you're at. Going, I want to see the transforming thing. I want to see something change me so that I can change others. I can change the world. I can serve people. I can love people. I can give to people. I can help people. I can encourage people. I can give grace to people. I can give peace to people. I can give hope to people because those things have been given to me. That's you this morning. You say, you know what? I want, I want to I want to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. I really want to see this thing transform my life so I can be a transforming power in the lives of others. If that's you this morning, you say, you know, I want to walk into every area of life and be something to someone. If that's you today, would you just right now, would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on. Anybody else? Just raise your hand and say, thank you. Wherever you are, maybe your career, you want to walk into your office Monday and be, you want to bring light into the darkness. It doesn't mean you start preaching. It just means you bring Jesus that you hear, you listen, you find out where needs are. You're a person who brings faith and hope. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? If you already raised your hand, leave it down. Anybody else would say, that's me? Anybody else? So awesome. So good. So good. And one more thing. I want If you've never given your life to Jesus, or it's been a while, and you know that your life has not been one where King Jesus has reigned, and you're going, I... I want to live there again. I want to, I want to give my life fully and completely. This is not a life where Jesus is added to. It is a life where you, Jesus is surrendered to. And you would say, you know, I need to surrender my life again to who Jesus is. Or I need to surrender my life for the first time to who Jesus is. Because I want to live not just one that talks, but one that walks in a new life in an upside-down way with a new king. If that's you this morning, would you just would you raise your hand? You need to make a decision for the first time 
Lord, for the first time again. If that's anybody in here, I see that hand. Thank you so much. It's so good. Come on. That's awesome. Anybody else who'd say, yeah, that's me? So good. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you so much for your truth. I thank you so much for your power. I thank you so much for your life. I thank you that every person who raised their hand and says, I want to live this thing out. I want to walk the walk. I don't want to just talk the talk. I want to see your transforming power work in me. God, I pray that you would empower them. I pray they would live with the empowered life that comes because they know you. And Lord, that Holy Spirit, you would begin to work in them in such a powerful, mighty way. God, I pray for those who raised their hand and said, I want to commit my life to Jesus. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. But I pray that you would help them know, let them know now that you accept them, you love them, that nothing they've ever done has ever determined how much you love them and care for them and want them to walk according to the call that you've placed in them. God, that there is no past that can change their future. There is nothing that was that can change what will be because you are with them and for them and you redeem them fully and you make covenant with them as they commit their lives to you and their past and their present and their future. Lord, and you will make them a new creation in Christ Jesus created for good works that you planned for them before him. All things, all old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you for it. Lord, we surrender our life to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.